Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to Korean American Parenting, and we wish you health, safety, and happiness. We are recording this on April 26th. The Oscars were yesterday, so we are still Yay! celebrating uh, the legend that is Yoon Yeo-jung and all the other, uh, Chloe Zhao, her, and all the other uh, particularly Asian winners uh, from the show yesterday. I think it's so cool. Uh, I mean, my kids are, are, are too young to really process uh, all that's happening. Um, but I am excited that, uh, for them, it won't be your first anymore, that it won't be something so novel that we have to keep talking about it. Um, but yeah, and you know, obviously once they're old enough, we can share with them the movies that they were in and, and to really, uh, empower that. Um, I, I know you posted about it on, on your social media stuff, Jang, How, and, and you grew up more in Korea. So you're probably even more so than I am. Muriel with Yoon Yeo-jung's work? Yeah, you know, she's my Cheryl. <laughs> um, I mean, she's always really chic and like she was always like the actress that was just amazing. So like her her acting in Minari wasn't like, holy, you know, crap. Um, <laughs> um, because that's what I've um, been watching growing up. But I, um, I was just so enamored by her uh, throughout. And then yesterday at the Oscar, her speech just made my like head spin because I love that she just went there asking people about, you know, telling people about how people don't uh, call her name right. And then she's like, yeah, I'm above it all. I think you guys are forgiven, which is, <laughs> I, I thought it was great. Also shout out to her children. Um, as a mom myself, I think it was just amazing. At the end, she was like, you know, I thank my two sons for making mommy work so hard, you know? Um, and I think that was just, um, it made me feel so happy that she just embodies um, a strong Asian woman who does what she does and at least seemingly don't doesn't care too much about what others think of her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that was the kind of message I got, um, especially um, with young child, you know, what kind of role model do you, I want to be for her? Um, I also, you know, sometimes have mommy guilt about working. Um, and to, I've always thought about it as well. I really love my job. I love, what I do and that it's this part of me that my child will see and that's what she did and it really resonated with me there, there's so many cool things about it right because I think as, as as we've dealt with all this racism and hate crimes particularly as it started with our 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 elders right like 
she's in that demographic. And then here she is, you know, just like you said, uh, controlling the room, uh, putting white people in their place and, you know, just owning that conversation. Yeah, I, I thought it was just really, really poignant. And, you know, as, as I don't know, it happens so often, like uh, people are like, oh, my God, like this is her first. And they use a lot of words like breakout and first. And I'm like, no, like go study your history. Like she is so familiar to so many of us who've watched any resemblance of, you know, traditional Korean dramas or movies. And and she's always had this aura of, uh, I don't give a shit, right? She is that badass, right. you know, that, not, I mean, she's older now, but, you know, she she base, embodied the Korean Ajima spirit of whatever it takes, right? And, you know, I, I was just reflecting yesterday and just, you know, reading up on her um, prior life. And she was born in 47. So she was born three years before the war um, in what is now Hwangedo, or back back then it was something different, um, in what is now North Korea. And so the war started as she lived through the war at the ages that our kids are. That's insane. Like, I, I can't process that, right? Like, um, and if they lived up north, that means they had to move, right? They had to run and, and find shelter and safety somewhere. Like, we are their legacy, right? The fact that we can talk about this. Um, and in her particular case, uh, having moved to the States at a much later point in her life uh, to educate her sons and, and to start a new life, and then to come full circle and then to talk about and, and to act in a movie and to be celebrated for a movie that is our story, our immigrant story. I, I think it is it is it is so cool. We, we, we want to talk to you today about that. Right. The, the racism, the discrimination, all the unpleasant things, the things that we dealt with, the things that we maybe weren't even aware of, just things and actions that were taken against us that still are continue to be taken against us and also touch upon sort of how race was explained to us in our early years of uh, coming to America. Um, you know, I came here when I was eight in elementary school. Jane came a little bit later um, in middle school. But, you know, just the introduction of what race meant in America and um, what our place was in it is, is something that I don't think we often talk about. Um and I think it is erased because of this need to survive, this need to yoshimihe, uh, right? And just prove ourselves in this country that to admit that there was mistreatment um, is something that I don't think our collective parents or the early generation really had any idea how to, how to reckon with. Um, you know, talking about Yoon Yajang, so I, uh, I saw uh, clips of her interviewing actually in Korean to Korean audience about Minari. And she talked about how her two sons who grew up here in America and still live in America um, um, had told her that she, they had not seen the movie yet. And, and the son explained to her that the reason that he could not see this movie was because every time he sees the trailer of this movie, he just bawled. So he cannot get himself to watch this movie. And she, she says to this that, you know, I, this movie isn't sad to me. Um, and, and I think it's because I am Korean and he is Korean American. Um, and that was so poignant to me. 
Um, and she goes on to explain, well, I'm Korean and I immigrated as a Korean to America, but I was still a foreigner. I consider myself foreigner to this country. And so whatever the kind of, you know, what people's reaction to me wasn't so hurtful because I expected it. But my child who grew up here and was born, uh, you know, I don't know if he was born, but he grew up here and considers himself as Korean American. It, it's such a hard thing to think about um, to be a foreigner in their own country. And, and um, you know, in her own, like such a simple way, she's really talking about this really subtle um, issue that we don't necessarily t talk about a lot. You know, the difference between our first generation parents and us and why these anti-Asian racist events impact us so much to the core, right? Um, I think that what she was talking about is really what explains why that is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think there's a, I, I'm certainly not trying to victim blame. I'm just trying to provide more context. In, in that story that you shared, the, the core principle is self-identity, the, the, the audacity to identify as an Asian American, which then leads down to the expectation that we aren't hurled at racist things, that we aren't mistreated. Um, but if you are a, if, if you consider yourself a foreigner, and if you consider yourself a guest in somebody else's country, I think there's a little bit of that is expected. And, and that's really unfortunate. Um, but I think many immigrants, regardless of what country you come from, I think when you move here, you expect racism or that you don't think that it is something that you have the ability to fight and to make right. Because there is this notion that I am here in your country and until something happens, because we don't become Asian American the moment that we immigrate, it is a process and identity transformation. You know, I, I think a lot of the things um, that we faced are not reported, even in the hate crimes that are being reported now, uh, in addition to the cultural notions of shame and silence, it's this, it's this notion that some people expect a little bit to be mistreated, that they don't expect to be treated the same way as a white person. Because I think a lot of our uh, early immigrants, particularly older people, do did and continue to see America as a predominantly white country. I think that's why we we had not had education on racism. Uh, we had not had education about um, discrimination um, because th these are not the words or conversation we had in our ch uh, in our household. Um, I do think that as for for other maybe for some of the Asian Americans who have been here for generations, maybe that was a little bit a part of their uh, family conversation. But it's surely for my my family and a lot, I think I can speak for a lot of Korean American parents who are um, who are first or second generation. These are not the words or conversations we had. I do right. think that this is definitely something that we do have to have with our children um, because it is something that they're going to grow up with. You know, I think that's why um, the studies do show that um, an immigrant population in America, um, second generations are actually more prone to depression and anxiety. And I think there is a sense of um, this lostness, right? Lost when, when we talk about like facing racism and discrimination that really impacts the second generation rather than the first generation. I, I think it all has to do with expectation management, right? First generation people, like I said, 
they don't expect it. Nobody expects racism, but they're not surprised by it. And, and I think because, as you poignantly said, because we don't teach our kids, I wasn't taught racism. Uh, I learned racism on TV. I learned race in the media. All immigrant kids do. And because we weren't taught that, we just, and, and we're again, we're very, very pressured and uh, pressured and uh, nudged to believe that we can succeed in America, which is uh, code word for assimilate into being white adjacent so that you can be objectively successful going to the right schools and working at these logos that we don't know how to reckon with our differences, that we are shocked. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think it's very different. You know, my experience, we moved to Fullerton. Fullerton is the most Korean place outside of Korea. And so my initial American experience was very, very unique. Um, so it's, you know, and it's, it was, you know, and it wasn't like Korea, but, you know, I got pushed into the third grade. Uh, my cousin, who is my same age in the same town, that's why we moved there. She happened to be in my class. But I found like Korean friends to, you know, talk to immediately. And so I never felt like, you know, completely out. The only, the, the first time that I really just like felt dumbfounded and didn't know how to react was uh, in my cul-de-sac that, you know, of the first house that we lived in. It was like a week or two after we had moved in and a bunch of other kids. Um, I was eight. My brother was nine. And, you know, a bunch of other kids were either playing roller hockey or some other games in the cul-de-sac. And um, they said, hey, um, there's some new kids. Let's go see what they, you know, what, what is it about? They, I, I have a very clear memory of this. They asked me what my name was. And, and by then, we had established that I was going to be Jerry, my, my new fake name. And... <laughs> Uh, by the way, if you, if you if you haven't followed the show, I was actually named after the cartoon mouse because I that described my personality back then. Um, I did not know how to answer that question of what your name was. I blurted out Won Jong Hun, which is my Korean name, and they're like, "What?" I, I didn't know, right? And, and, and even that, like, you know, I wasn't the most basic of questions to being a kid in America of like, Hey, what's your name? I wasn't prepared for, but I also think that, and, and a couple of the other kids in the neighborhood were also Asian American, the younger ones, but they had been here a while or they were born there. And so even then I was like, okay, this is going to be a very interesting experience. Cause I don't even know how to like identify myself. Um, and again, that wasn't racism per se, but that was a, a very poignant memory in my mind of how I felt othered. And I just, you know, I actually remember, like, I didn't want to go outside because it's like, when you're eight and nine, that's past, like, toddler, like, the stuff that our kids would do, where you just put in a room full of other kids and they just play. At eight and nine, people have identities and personalities. And so um, that was really, really different. Um, how, how was it for you? Because you went, you obviously uh, came to America under different circumstances and more into a, a boarding school environment. Um, how, how was that like? Well, well, I can talk about that, but I guess I think um, I wanted to kind of, it's kind of funny because you mentioned Fullerton because my husband yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, moved, well, he was born here, but he moved right back to America, Korea right after his first birthday, but he came back to Fullerton when he was six and he had to learn English all, uh, and all that stuff. And um, not to date my husband's age, but when he was in Fullerton, he was he was the only, apparently only Asian kid in his his school. 
well, his class at least. And apparently there was no ESL class and stuff like that. So, so early on, um, he's old. <laughs> but, but he, he, you know, you, he and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. So he clearly remembers um, in his, so he came here when he was first grade. And he, he, you know, he might have been like second or third grade when he got into kind of an argument slash fight with another peer. And in his mind, it, it was the peer's fault. He was instigated. Um, but when this happened, um, that white kid's mother came and he's the one got, who got the you know, punishment, whereas um, you know, his, my husband's mom, my mother-in-law, couldn't really advocate for her own child. And this was, unfortunately, my mother-in-law doesn't even remember this incident, but for my, you know, mid forties, my husband, who is now, you know, well-established guy, it's still in his mind how uh, ashamed and how unsafe he felt and how un, you know, unfair this felt for him because nobody vouched for him. And, um, and to him, you know, I think he didn't realize it then, but, but later on, he realized this was an act of racism against him, right? When, when your parent, when your parents don't speak English and you are not able to advocate for yourself and you are put in a disadvantage. Yeah. I actually have a very, very similar story. Um, we, we, we did swimming when I was younger, um, every day after school. And so there was a, a variety, a wide range of kids at, at the swim thing. And there was a younger, it must've been in junior high school at this point, sixth or seventh grade, I think. Um, and there was this younger white kid who was just like, just like certified annoying. Like everybody knew he was loud and annoying. He would just, you know, go out of his way to piss people off. Um, and long story short, uh, we are in the locker room and I made him cry because I just couldn't deal with his, you know, pestering. Uh, guess whose white mom complained that I was terrorizing her son. And again, same thing as as uh, young story. My mom just showed up and said, yeah, Jerry's Jerry's not welcome on the team anymore without a chance to advocate for myself or because I was, again, I was very young, but I was the older Asian kid who made a white kid cry. And, you know, should I have made him cry? That's not the point, right? The, the point is that there was conflict and there wasn't uh, a fair decision being made because people had access and privilege. Was it purely rooted in racism? I'd like to not think so, but there was certainly discrimination based on my mom's inability to communicate, right? Because she, you know, at, at the time, we'd only been here for a few years. So, I mean, I think one of the things that um, I'm getting a lot from, like even my other psychiatrist colleagues, but also my clients, and and um, is that all of these anti-Asian racism events, uh, both, you know, verbally and physically violent um, events that are happening around us, um, Asian Americans who might have had those events in their life as young children, um, I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I thought I got over them, or I don't, I didn't remember them for a while after a while, and now they're all coming back to me, and it's so overwhelming, and the unsafe feeling that I have is so unrooted in what what I think is not realistic, but it's still there, and I can't handle it, right? Yeah. 
because because they're on they're so triggering of all the complex um, traumatic events that we've had as children of immigrants. Um, and then in addition, like, you know, I don't know if some of some of the audience might have <laughs> listened to our API's child psychiatrist talk that we did on Clubhouse. If you didn't um, listen to our podcast episode. Um, but, you know, Annie talked about her own child um, facing an event of racism against her as a first grader in Brooklyn. And one of the things that I think really kind of made um, these moms really sad is, well, number one, the fact that our children are going through the same exact events that we've had so far, but also as a mom, we couldn't protect our children, right? Um, and that is, that feels like a failure as a parent, but is it really? And so no. there's so many layers of these feelings. I don't want to, you know, the, the point of this show or anything that we do isn't to um, judge anybody or, or to um, say anything about anybody's parenting styles. But I, what, what I would um, highly encourage our, our fellow Korean and Asian American parents to do, one, is, is not to live under the false assumption that because you live in a certain area or that you, you send your kid to a specific school or that you've achieved some sort of um, objective status and, and success symbols that that somehow is going to shield you or your kids from any of this. Um, it's everywhere. It's it's built into the very fabric of how this country was started. And, and so you're not doing yourself any favors by thinking that wealth and status and privilege is actually going to shield you. We, we need to talk about race in a positive way um, with our children as, as early as they can, you know, process it. Because I, I think, you know, even, uh, Congressman Andy Kim, uh, shared a story too, very publicly about how his five-year-old was, was, was called, you know, some very bad things. Son of a con- son of an American congressman has to deal with that. Uh, you know, is that not the highest level of American civic duty? And his kid, a, a third-generation Korean kid in New Jersey, is is facing that. Uh, I think it's safe to assume that our, all of our children will, at some point, gonna face big or small, um, you know, events of racism against them at some point. And it's not our job to protect them because we can't. We can't, right? Um, but it is our job to to equip our children with skill sets and knowledge to be able to face these events and still not be crushed, right? And that education, unfortunately, have to start within our household because right now it's not happening in schools, right? Um, And so to me, as a parent, I think those are really important. And I can tell you that, you know, that child of my colleague that had gone through this incident um, you know, obviously she um, she had a mother who advocated, was able to advocate for her child and was able to, uh, and also had the school that was advocating for this Asian American child. So even though she's faced, she was faced with the same event that maybe all, uh, some of us were facing when we were younger, 
that child's memory of the event is going to be very different from what we've felt, right? And so it's about turning those events around for our children to let them know that we are there for, for you, we advocate for you, and this is how you do it. And in, in the same vein, um, I, I want to, I, I would love to be able to teach my kids to be also a good ally for other people, right? Because the one of the most painful things about the early childhood memories that young face, that I face, that so many of us face is the deafening silence of the people that are standing by. The kids I understand. What about the adults, right? The adults that stood there, whether they were teachers or coaches or other parents who didn't say anything when there was something blatantly going wrong. And again, was what, what's the core? What is the root cause of that? Was it racism? Was it fear? Was it a desire to so want to be adjacent and accepted by the dominant narrative that you did not want to speak up against anything? I don't know. I, I hope that we have all been charged in the last few weeks, few months, few years, our entire damn lives to say something when, when something ain't right and advocate for that because that kid and that parent will remember you for the rest of their lives if you stand up for somebody. And all the videos that we see, so many of them don't have proper intervention. So many times we've heard casual racist comments and just really, really bad things in classrooms, in friend circles, in boardrooms, and everywhere, and nobody shuts it down. Yeah, that, that's something that I, I, I really want all of us to commit to doing. Like, are, are there proper things that we can be mindful of, Jang, when we, you know, talk about this stuff? Um, like, how do we teach young people, toddlers, our, our kids' age, you know, um, to not only stand there for themselves, but the ability to make that cognitive decision to say, hey, that's not nice, or, you know, to to protect um, to other people? Are, are there, you know, um, I guess it's sort of a selfish question, too, because I'm, I'm looking for ways to do it right for my kids. Um, I, I have the benefit of having, you know, two. And so we, we see the older one. Um, you know, it, it's funny, like he'll, he'll defend his sister when it's bath time or nap time, he'll block me from trying to get her. And so we know that he's got a little bit of that, you know, defense mechanism, like there's solidarity between them. Um, it's the mm -hmm. kids against Appa. Um, but you know, when, when he goes back to school eventually and then with the neighborhood kids, like what are some things that we can be mindful of as we teach, uh, kids to be more, more mindful? I think there's multiple layers. Um, I think in terms of like just teaching them about the world and racism and, um, you know, all this stuff, I think you just have to start on, on the kids level. And I don't think it's ever early enough, right? Um, or late enough. Um, so, it, you know, with our kids who are still toddlers and pre-K children, we start with um, what's different, right? Um, so we don't want to say, oh, we, the worst thing I think is like, oh, we don't see color, right? I think um, that was the kind of thing that people used to say. Um, I think it's important because they, they see difference. I mean, you know, it's there. So we, we talk about um, diversity 
indifference, um, but it, that is not wrong, right? Wrong to be diverse. And um, also, to, you know, my child is four, I have introduced to her that, you know, some people do um, treat others in a mean way only based on the color of the people's skin and that that is wrong. And so that's something that I have been telling her. You know, she has not encountered any of those experiences herself, but I want her to know that this does happen and that it is wrong. Um, so that's also important. I think uh, as the kids get older and they already know about racism and the acts of racism and um, you know uh, what is wrong, um, in terms of standing up for others, I think it's, well, number one, it's important to stand up for others. And how do we do that? We, we support the ones that um, are being victimized. But also, um, I think it's important to let them know that you, you need to ask for help, right? So not, not just putting on the child to like solve everything, but when these things happen, you need to let other teachers know or other adults in your life know that this has happened so that we can help you help the others, right? I think it's also important. Um, I think in our culture, sometimes um, we don't really ask for help either. And, um, you know, in, in an immigrant, um, you know, thoughts, we really have to do everything independent, right? And, and I think that's something um, that is great, grained in us, but having that network of people that you can depend on, I think is really important. Um, I think that is the solidarity that kids will grow to learn to make it bigger as they grow. So that, that to me is what's important. We have no choice but to remain hopeful in that, right? Because it's exhausting. Um, I know where you live, it's, it's pretty rural. The diversity isn't as, as robust, you know, um, my wife and I talk often about where to, um, is this, uh, yes, we're in Southern California. I'm, I'm not where I grew up, but you know, I, I often think about, okay, where do we put down roots? Where, where is home often? And, and as sad as it sounds, we go, where is the least racist place in America where a Korean family can feel safe and thrive? It's true, right? Like, where is that place, right? And I also don't want it to be like a place where I grew up where the Korean influence is so heavy that they're not getting a diverse and robust experience themselves. At the same time, like, I need easy access to Korean food. I, I can't, you know, that's very, very important. You're looking for a unicorn. I am looking for a unicorn, Typically, when people think about material wealth and success, they upgrade, quote unquote, into these neighborhoods that look more and more white because that's, you know, again, go study your history. There's a reason for all of this, but that's where the better schools are. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's it, it's something that we often talk about because, you know, there is this parental instinct to want to keep our kids safe, um, but at the same time, not so sheltered that they don't know how to deal with this just like so many of our own generation don't know how to deal with this because I think so many of our parents confused survival with sheltering and kept us under wraps so much. They don't want us exposed to anything bad that so many people have a hard time um, dealing with real life, dealing with having diverse friends, dealing with 
racism and all these things. I hope that the the events of the past year um, have encouraged people to learn and go a little bit deeper. Um, but I also know that events like this does have a tendency for people to claw down even more into their own safety circles and to um, you know put up their walls even more. I hope as a parent that my kids don't experience any of the racism that I dealt with. But a part of me almost wants them to because it's made me who I am, right? It, it has, um, it's not the racism, but I want them to face enough adversity in their life to build character. Um, and so I don't want to put them in harm's way, but I also don't want them to, you know, have the, what do they call them? The snowplower parents, you know, we, we don't want that either. And so the, these are questions and, and challenges that, you know, I, I think about daily, our, our older is going back to preschool next week. Um, school has been closed and they had capacity uh, restrictions. So he's going back and um, we, we trust everybody in that building. We know most of the parents. I still worry about it, you know, because he hasn't had regular interaction with kids in a year. Um, kids are and then who knows? Yeah, it, it is. Kids will be kids and, and they're going to have differences of opinion. But, you know, at least the first one is a son. And not to play gender stereotypes, but I, I think there's a little bit of faith that he'll he'll take care of himself a little bit better. Um, my daughter's much younger, and I don't know how she will grow up, and she's got her own personality. Um, but you know, it is it is something how they will be treated is, is something that we constantly think about um, as as we think about where we want to move to, if we want to move at all. I, I moved around a lot, as I'm sure you know, and everybody else does at this point. And so I don't. When somebody says, "Where's your hometown?" Like I don't have one. Um, I want my kids to have a different experience where they know people in the community and they grew up with the same people um, and, and they have a place to go, quote unquote, back home to um, through college and stuff. But yeah, it, it, it is difficult. And for folks that are listening, I, I think it's totally okay to talk about openly with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids, even some of the things that you dealt with, um, some of the, uh, in hindsight, discriminatory or even racist things that you were subject to. Um, and don't blame yourself. It is not your fault, but I think it's really good. Because um, that swimming story I haven't told in ever, maybe. Um, I brought it out for you. A, a thing that really taught me about American culture of individualism versus the, sort of the collective culture that is, is Korean. Um, this memory sticks out so much. Um, I, w- I was in the fourth grade. There was a white kid named Matt. Um, I took the ball out to play during recess. And then on the way back, I gave it to him. And I said, hey, since I took it out, you take it back, which is a very Korean thing of shared responsibility. And then he goes, no, you took it out. So you put it back. And I was like, why am I doing it both ways? Shouldn't you help? <laughs> and he's like, Jared, you, it is your responsibility to put back the thing that you brought out. And I was like, yeah, but I brought it out. So you should help me put it back. And it was just a rubber ball, right? And we were like 10 years old. But I I still think about that moment and just how much differences there are in the way we are raised. And It's those little moments where you see the subtle difference. And it's not, you know, both are right, both are wrong. It just depends Mm -hmm. on your perspective. But, you know, even those things, like I I think about, I sometimes wonder, I was like, I wonder what the hell he's up to, right? Like, because that memory is so clear for me. It's, It's like the light bulb moment. In your life. Yeah. And, and it wasn't like I decided to be an individualistic, selfish turd that day, but I was like, okay, different people view things very differently. 
yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I hope for those of you listening that this conversation was um, helpful. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I wanted to convey today was that, you know, um, everybody has difficult memories. And as children of immigrants, I think we all have very painful memories at times. Obviously, we have a lot of joyful memories, too. But when those painful memories come back, um, there are ways to make it better for us and for our children. And that is that that's part of healing. Um, and um, little things can make you feel a little bit better. Obviously, things are tough right now, but what, there's always going to be a little bit of silver lining on things, and we have to look towards that. This, in addition to, we're still in a pandemic. You still shouldn't be putting yourself at risk. Um, there's a lot going on in the world, um, and, and then as we transition to the summer. Um, and whether that means your kids are going to be home with you for summer break or whether it is in our case, you get to send your kids back because restrictions are loosening a little bit. Um, let's teach all the, let's teach our kids the things that we wish we had known. Um, again, absolutely no fault of our parents or, uh, what being a Korean American was like 20 years ago. But, you know, if, if we want them to, uh, be successful, happy and thrive, uh, in, in a world, um, that is welcoming of everybody. I think that starts now. And so, um, yeah, take care of yourselves. Uh, and we, we thank you for tuning in. Um, yeah, I don't know how to end these shows anymore because we don't have a guest, but, um, well, I, I, I hope that you guys enjoyed this talk. You know, Jerry and I are going to try to continue to have these conversations between the two of us, but for you to listen and maybe join in with questions and, comments. Um, I do think that these are very pertinent conversations we're having and we wanted you to um, be part of it. So thank you for listening. Find us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. You can uh, find us personally on Instagram at JangChoMD or JerryJ1. Shoot us a DM. Uh, go on our website at KoreanAmericanParenting.com and find our way into our email inbox and we'd be more than happy to address some of the questions that you may have had that you were curious about or topics that you wish we would talk about. Uh, this show is uh, for, for you, for us, um, for our community, ultimately for our children. And so we want to be, um, we want to make sure that we are, we're doing this for you. Uh, for those of you who work for larger organizations and you think that having us have these type of conversations and to create dialogue within your uh, parents, ERG, your employee resource group or other parts of your organization would be helpful. Please do reach out to us. Uh, we do that often for organizations, large and small, and we would love to be in a place for you to uh, have these conversations at work because work is a whole different bucket that we don't often talk about. Jeng and I are in our own ways, very blessed to be working for ourselves and from the comfort of our home offices. But we also know that that's uh, a privilege that not everybody has. And so we want you to be able to have these resources. Uh, please do reach out. Um, next time you hear from us, it will be Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And so let's find ways to celebrate. Um, it's been heavy. So let's find ways to celebrate all that makes us wonderful, study our history, study the people that are paving ways, that have paved ways, and, and to make sure that um, we can celebrate all of our kids 
doing awesome things uh, here in our home country of America. So uh, if you haven't watched Minari, go watch it. If you haven't watched any of the other movies that were celebrated yesterday, please go watch it. And until next time, uh, please be safe, healthy, and happy.